All right, welcome back to a bonus episode of the Blasters and Blades podcast. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, let me tell you what we're doing right now. We're getting ready to uh, release some of the archive that we found from when we were the sci-fi shenanigans. Uh, we're going to get those up there for for the posts that were brought down. We thought you might enjoy them. Um, and so without further ado, let us, uh, let us roll that beautiful... Oh, wait, they're going to sue me. Play it. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi fans. Time for your daily dose of insanity over here at the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast with your hosts, Jared Handley and me, Chris Winder. Just two nerdy veterans geeking out over a science fiction passions. A place where the sky's the limit, space is the place, and nerds run the world. Without further ado. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. Uh, today we're going to do another book review, although this time it will be another anthology hosted by Craig Martell titled The Expanding Universe 4, Space Adventures, Alien Contact, and Military Science Fiction Science Fiction Anthology. Uh, we use shorthand, call it TEU4 or The Expanding Universe 4. The rest of that subtitle is a mouthful, so you can skip it if you want, dear listener. Um <laughs> So the as I mentioned before, I'm publishing my own anthology in December, which uh, the two guests, uh, well, not guests, my co-host and our guest are both uh, involved with. Uh, so I've been studying the market. Um, I was, uh, in full disclosure, in volume three of this anthology. So when volume four came out, I decided to give it a shot. There were so many stories in this edition, 31 authors telling 31 great stories that I let Chris pick five. We'll discuss today. And then promptly as the games of telephone happened, there was some miscommunication and we didn't all read the exact same stories. Oops, <laughs> our bad. Um, but rather than delay it, uh, we'll review each of these stories individually. Work smarter, not harder. Am I right? Am I right? Yes, sir. Sure. All right. So uh, with us, um, as we review this anthology, is returning guest Tim C. Taylor. In case the listeners haven't uh, uh, listened to the previous two episodes, which will be in the show notes, can you can you introduce yourself again for us? Yeah. Hi. Uh, yeah. Tim C. Taylor. So I, uh, I've been writing and publishing full time since 2011. Uh, Human Legion is one of my stories uh, series I published J.R. Handley in the Sleeping Legion. I'm in the Four Horsemen universe. In fact, so is Chris. And uh, at the moment, mm-hmm. we're in uh, number one in anthologies, I believe, in Amazon.com. Well done, Chris. Uh, and uh, currently working on a science fiction adventure serial called Chimera Company. Okay. Awesome. So, so when, when I normally I keep notes so that way we can do a callback if we need to, I know what the answers were. And so while Tim introduced himself, since I know all that, I wrote pip pip cheerio, warm beer, blah. Just so you know. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of it, except for it kind of sounds it, it. it's not warm. <laughs> Set a temperature. Let's get this right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I, I couldn't resist that one. Um, so um, let's let's first talk about the cover. So um, 
since I'm colorblind, I figure we can start with you, Tim, since you're the guest, and I'll give my thoughts. But bear in mind, like I said, I don't see color like normal folk. So what, what do you think of the color, uh, the cover, Tim? Well, the cover and the color. Uh, yeah, I thought it was very good. It looked quite similar to Volume 3, in fact, a slightly different color. So it's a collection of rather cool-looking uh, spaceships. They're all zooming around, looking very exciting. It's, a, uh, I'd say, orange, pink, and brown background. Text is really good. It's maybe a little bit lost in the background, but it looks a bit like the other ones in the series. So I guess that's exactly what you're after because the, the first three have sold really well. So the fourth one, you know, you want to make it look like the branding for the other ones. So it worked for me. Okay. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I, I like also <clears throat> how they did the title and uh, and Craig Martell's name. It's just a little bit lighter, but but a nice shadow effect, a nice uh, uh, nice dark edge around it. And the way they did the lighting in the background, there's there's a big lens lens flare kind of effect. It looks like whoever took the picture is at a serious tactical disadvantage because they're looking into the sun. So I, I liked that effect too. Yeah, I did too. So I absolutely loved it. It's like, um, like I said, the se- several spaceships appearing to be in what looks like maneuvers of some kind, given the uh, the imagery you suspect maybe they're fighting somebody. And it does have that lens flare. I can see that part. It sort of looks like they're flying into a nebula almost or about to break uh, the gravitational fields of the planet. Right. But flying, I, flying out, I think. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. But yeah, I absolutely liked it. So it's absolutely gorgeous. So the link for the story will be in the show notes. So you should you should click the link and check that cover art out. Uh, it didn't say who did it, but I think it was um, – oh, now I'm drawing a blank on his name. He's a British uh, science fiction artist who does a lot of sci-fi covers. Tom, Tom something, Edwards. I think. Tom Edwards. There we go. Yeah, I think that's, that's a Tom Edwards cover. It looks like his work. I was going to say it looked like Tom Edwards' spaceships. I mean, there may be ones that have been used uh, on other other books. And these are sort of smaller versions. That's what it kind of looks like. Yeah. Oh, very good. Yeah, I absolutely love it. But yeah, he does good work. Um, so we'll link to him. Um, and if we're wrong, you know, Craig Martell can shout at us in the into the night sky and it'll the Aurora Borealis will carry it to us. Yes. Okay, that, <laughs> that, that joke falls flat if you don't know that uh, Craig Martell lives in Alaska, up near the North Pole. North Pole. So he, he likes people so much he got away. Um, but, but moving on, uh, because this uh, anthology had so many stories in it, let's talk about how it is organized on its Amazon page. I'll go first so I can sort of explain what I mean. I thought that the individual descriptions were hard to read. It felt like everything was sort of smashed together. Uh, it would have been easier if there could have been a space between the individual title and blurb and maybe highlight the bold and bold the titles. But uh, what about you guys? Did you have any issues reading that? I did. I had to read it three or four times to figure out how it was organized. But once I did then for me, it was pretty easy. It's not the way I would have done it, but I was able to pick stories from it. So it worked. Yeah. I'm not sure how much of that is the holdup of what Amazon will let you do and not do. Cause I don't handle the back end Once the story is done, uh, mm-hmm. my wife and mother or, or in the first series, Tim did all that work. So, I mean, that could just be my ignorance speaking, but what about you, Tim? Did you find any issues with that? Uh, yeah, I, I would have done that a bit differently. I mean, if I'm, if I'm looking for uh, a new anthology to read, one of the things I'll do is look at for the list of authors. So I want a few people I've, I recognize as authors I enjoy. So I would personally, I'd, I'd put the uh, authors in bold, the names, the stories in italic, but the, there's a, a short sentence 
description for each one, a little miniature teaser. I thought they were very effective, um, uh, and they really got me into it. I, I did too. It's just hard to get to them to match everything up. So, but yeah. all right. So uh, we'll focus on several parts of the story, and I'll give you the rundown so uh, <laughs> listeners are on the same page. So we've got the summary which is a book synopsis, even potentially straight from the back of the book. So in this case, we're going to list the Amazon blurb. And when we talk summary, we're just going to decide whether we think that fits. And if it does, we'll move on. We have characters. So who are the main characters? Do we like them? How do they look, act? Are they believable, sympathetic, well-rounded, etc.? cetera? Uh, the plot, which is the general story arc, action-packed. Was it easy to follow? Did it lag in places? Parts we just didn't believe. Uh, we have the world building, uh, which is so how well flushed out was their world? Did I buy it? Could I envision myself there the good the bad and the ugly basically description is how well the author did allowing us to visualize things um and then overall this is where we put our opinions did we like it would we recommend it and why does that uh that work for all you guys yeah sounds right. right to me all right okay so the first book was information war by craig martell so the blurb on amazon says the first casualty when war comes is the truth so, did that match the story of the token Brit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, it did. Um, I mean, it, it has to do its job as a as a sort of a teaser, but I think it was there was more to the story than this. Uh, it's a lot about uh, the information and it being sort of tuned for various purposes and collusion of people in this process of tuning the information that's in a world on the on the brink of war so it's not something that's happened after the war started it's it's are we going to go to war or not so yeah it, it's the right sort of topic but maybe it's pitched at perhaps the wrong part of the process all right is this one you read jr yeah, I read this one. So um, I think the summary did a, a pretty good job encapsulating the overall vibe. I mean, obviously, like Tim said, there was more to it than that. But but I think it did a good job. Okay. Yeah, I think it did too. I think it it was enough to get me to read the story. <laughs> Just enough. Yeah, you picked it, so I would think so. So what would be your, your summary, GR? No, I, I agree with what he said. I, I might um, – I guess it's it, it just looks at the uh, the effect of a 24-hour news cycle on, on society and on social media. It sort of had that almost dystopian kind of vibe in how society was controlled by a few um, information czars, if you would. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's okay, the, the summary. I, I think we can, we can give that one to them. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, uh- – Information czars, yeah, twenty-four hour news cycle, yeah, that's that's pretty much what it is. Um, I thought there was a bit more uh, multiple parties. There's collusion of, of uh, I don't want to do too many spoilers, but there's a sense that the people who are being lied to are perhaps uh, colluding in that, and perhaps they prefer that to getting the unvarnished truth. And that's one of the things that gets sort of revealed. Perhaps you. Uh, there's more awareness of it going on than than perhaps you realise at the first uh, first go. So, who are the good guys and the bad guys? It's not quite as simple as it looks at first, right? And even then, it it does it does one thing well. There is a character who has a change of heart and makes a makes a big decision. I, I always like seeing that in short stories because it's it's not so easy to do. Yeah, and that was credible. I I, I believed that. Like somebody got pushed, and they. I now have to do the right thing, whatever the cost. 
that was good. It's it's really tough doing this without giving it away. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in when they're a little bit shorter. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we will manage because we've done it before. So. Yep. Okay, so what do you think about the characters, JR? Well, the main character's name, just uh, for freshness, was Kenny Freeman, which I thought was an interesting choice of name since they were talking about the freedom of information and his last name is Freeman. I don't know if that was intentional or a random new name generator. Sometimes that stuff happens. Uh, happy um, coincidence. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. On the one hand, I felt like he was a little bit of a patsy. So it was kind of hard. I felt sorry for him more than, than necessarily relating to him. But in the end, you know, he does the right thing by his own estimation. So you did root for him a little bit. And then there were, of course, some of the secondary characters, uh, the political figures, the, the information czars we talked about earlier, and then the, uh, the ship's captain um, involved in the pending war. So I think he did a good job with the characters. Now, I didn't really like them necessarily, but they were well written. Mm-hmm. I, I got to say my favorite characters – were the 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 ship captain of the well um, the, the name of the ship doesn't matter but there is a there's a couple important scenes there because I could actually relate to the character I could imagine myself in that situation and how much courage it would take to make the decisions he made um, that was my favorite character I don't think he was meant to be the main character but that that's really stuck out to me what about you Tim yeah I think I'd go along with that. So I mean Kenny Freeman, the the journalist. I mean he 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 is not exactly a, a traditional heroic character, but uh, he he sort of questions whether he's actually one of the good guys or the bad guys, and he's sort of a little bit both at different at different times. And I think that's actually quite an interesting way of doing things. Um, I think the the character, the ship's captain, is Captain Woods, was it? Yes, um, sounds right. Yeah, I, I think that was, I think a, it didn't get an awful lot of screen time, if you like, but I think actually most of the description went in with him and his situation, his crew. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that was a very well put together. I think it's Craig's concentrating there, the author concentrating there on that character. And that was a difficult thing to do, as you say, but I think it came across really convincingly. And, and he, he is, all, I guess, the main catalyst character that, that, people are questioning what the right thing to do is. And he, he kind of, he, he gives a bit of an indication and, and makes people think a little bit harder. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So, so, so Tim, what do you think about the plot of the story? How'd that work for you? Yeah, that, that, that was very good. It worked well. Um, as I say, it, it's the sort of thing, you know, fake news and propaganda wars and things. It's easy to have token good guys and bad guys make it a little bit obvious. But I like the way that it was, uh, you felt that perhaps parts of society, some of which are obvious, some of which not so obvious, are playing their part in this and they're kind of going along with, with this uh, manipulation of the truth for an agenda, which makes right. you think, well, whose agendas are we really uh, going for here? So, yeah, that, that worked pretty well. So what do you think, Jer? Yeah, I thought so too. Um, I thought the plot, uh, the pacing was a little disjointed for me. It felt like it was jumbled around. It almost, if I had to pin down what I thought I didn't like about the plot, it was almost like the story was too big for a short story. I mean, I, I think this could have easily drawn out to a novel, but in, in full disclosure, I have that problem. I haven't met a short story. I haven't tried to turn it into a novel. 
So uh, <laughs> I can confirm <laughs> it, 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 it could be my own bias coming out, but I just, I felt like too much was going on. And so it was hard to follow any one thing. I, I think if for me, short stories, I like have to narrow their focus a lot more. Yeah. For, for me, the plot was overshadowed by the message that was clear and obvious in the story. Yeah. Um, it, it, it could have been a little less heavy handed. And I think, I think the story would have been more enjoyable, but this was definitely for me a message story. All right, so what about the world building, Jr? How, how did that hit you? Um, I think he did a good job. It's really hard to mess up world building when you're doing near future because everybody already has this um, worldview in their head to, to build off of. Uh, you know, from as a reader and uh, as an author, I would say that that's the easiest to do, just because you, you don't have to spend as many words there. Everyone knows what a, a bus looks like, you know. So, so we don't have to describe the bus. We can move on and talk about the exciting, you know, passenger on the bus, right? So, I think with world building, they they nailed it. I, I thought. Um, I thought they did a good job. Or they, he, excuse oh. me, Craig Martell. What about you, Tim? Yeah, I'd, I'd say what JR did. It's it's near future. It's, you know, maybe 50 years in the future sort of thing. The description, uh, and well, I'm sort of going the next bit as well a little bit. Uh, the world building and description, I think, was really about the, the spaceship, what's going on in, in space. Yeah. So when you said, JR, that um, maybe there's too much in it, that's interesting because I thought that it was quite uh, dialogue heavy and description light because the author was trying to concentrate on the bits that they were were critical to story and well, spending more time there. Well, I actually, I didn't say the description was, was heavy handed or was too much. I said the world building in that they were trying to do too much in scope. So you're bouncing oh. around between the politicians, the newspaper men, who are both on earth or all on earth. And then the ship's captain out there investigating this, uh, alien threat that, uh, and so you're bouncing back and forth when really the story for me was in space. And so what was going on back on earth, it almost seemed like, okay, I don't care about that. Let's keep moving. So I don't know if he, so had narrowed, saying he, he had narrowed his focus a little bit, I think would have been better. What we really want to read about is Space Force. Yeah, <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, for me, I thought it was, I thought it was well executed for what for what he was trying to do because he was constrained by word count. It was supposed to be a short story, um, and it felt a little bit shoehorned. Like he was trying to squeeze too much into too small of a space, but I, I think it came out okay. So, um, what about the description, Jar? What do you think? Um, he didn't spend a lot of time describing what was going on on Earth, so there was something like a script that popped up, and I'm picturing like a 1920s newsroom where you've got the little ticker tape, which seemed odd. Uh, and disjointing a little bit because like this is the modern age. Why don't they just go over internet, tablet, whatever, right? So it seemed almost like a step yeah. back tech-wise. But then when he got into space with what he was describing there, I mean, I would have I've always preferred more description over less. But but I think for a short story, when he's describing the captain encountering the alien, I, I mean, I thought the description there was was pretty good. I liked it there. I think he, he got a good got it right there. It's just when he left space in that first contact situation and he went back to Earth, that's where he, the story lost me on those parts. Yeah, what do you, what do you think, Tim? Yeah, that it's the bit that gets the best description and the best character. Um, 
yeah, definitely space stuff has got more description. But as I say, it, it is a way of playing it is to say, well, uh, as an author, I'm going to spend my my word count on the bits that are the most interesting parts of the story and perhaps uh, be efficient elsewhere. And that's how it felt to me. Yeah, me too. I don't remember a lot of what happened on the Earth side, but the description of what happened in space is, is still vivid in my mind. Um, I may have gotten some of the descriptions wrong. My mind may not, may not be seeing what he's intending, but I was still satisfied. It doesn't matter. Yeah, agreed. Hmm. So overall, uh, Tim, how would you rate the story? Yeah, I thought it was good. Definitely. What would you say out of five? Ooh, uh, four. Four, okay. What about you, Jer? So uh, I, I liked that this was trying to discover the truth in a post-truth world where sound bites are all that matter. I liked that part. And the population were sheep and dumb. Okay, that works for me. I <laughs> like that he had the Space Force. Um, that I mean, I, I dig that. I, I've been uh, loving all the memes since Trump announced uh, streamlining our space capabilities into one unified branch uh i find that the the back and forth on that hilarious so you've got me there when they talked about with the propaganda piece the bugs were attacking it sort of struck me as shades of Heinlein starship troopers uh mm-hmm. with with the president of the world calling the uh the alien bugs so i liked that uh and i liked the first contact uh because the reveal was unexpected I, I do think overall he used some acronyms that made it a little hard to follow the story so uh you know, I, I get that that was a little off. Um, I will say the reporter as propagandist did sort of agree with my worldview. So, you know, take that for what it is. Uh, and in the end, the conclusion was basically what I expected. So I'll give it three or four stars. Uh, but that's not to say I don't like his writing because, you know, I, I never really want to give the bad reviews. I just this one didn't do it for me. But I read Craig Martell's Dark Landing and I loved it. So it's not his writing. It's this story. Yep. For me, the only thing that kept it from being five stars was that it was so message heavy. Uh, it's not typically the kind of story I read. I like I like stories, if they're going to be message stories, to strike me a week after I read it, where I'll be thinking about it, and then suddenly it'll dawn on me what the message was, because the story was so compelling and the message was so subtle, but it was still there. So I I, I got to gotta give it four out of five. Uh just because it was so heavy-handed. Okay, yeah. so our next story was Unexpected Bounty by Terry Mixon. So the blurb on Amazon is, Zag the Bounty Hunter just wanted a beer. The universe had a different plan. Does that match the story, uh, well, hold, hold, hold on. Before we do oh. that, this is important. So we, we try to disclare, disclose our own biases, et cetera, et cetera. So full disclosure, uh, Chris and I are both patrons of the Dead Robot Society podcast hosted by Terry Mixon, and I'm actually a fan of his work. But the reason I mention that is he's talked it through on his various episodes coming up with the concept of the story. So I'm not sure how much with us, because it'll be interesting to see what Tim thinks, our opinions were colored by we, we listen to it every step of the way. Uh, and so I think I think that's fair to to, to tell people listening to our, sure. our thoughts. Uh, and so okay. yeah, yeah, I thought the summary. I mean, I think he nailed it. That was actually of all the summaries we have, that was one of the ones that I had the least problems with, as far as like did it encapsulate the story. I, I think this one nailed it. Yep, and it's and it's really simple and it's really silly. I think as well. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, it's absolutely spot on, and it it catches the tone of the story as, as well as 
you know, the plot of what happens. So spot. Mm-hmm. All right. So what what do you think of the characters, Tim? Uh, well, I very good. There's only two characters. I think actually we get to see there's a, a, a young thief and a very large bounty hunter called Zag, who <clears throat> is a two and a half meter tall Borellian. Um, so a non-human, a uh, bit, bit like a minotaur. That's what they'd want you believe. Uh, <laughs> and I thought that really added um, to the story. It, I, I think um, Terry really got into the character and thought about well, how would things be different. How do you how do you be a bounty hunter when you're two and a half meters tall and you, everybody can right. see a mile around? Yeah, I thought that was excellent. I really liked that. <laughs> what, what do you think, Jerry? I did. I liked uh, that he was so tall. It sort of had uh, the Hellboy vibes for me. But again, you know, we listened to the podcast where he explicitly said that was the goal. But I, I definitely saw it when I read it. And it's been long enough since he talked about it. I don't know if it just triggered the memory or, or it stood on its own, but it definitely had that vibe. I like the orc sort of sounding name to me, Z- uh, Zag the Bounty Hunter, Zag of Borel. Like I, that, that struck me. So I really did like that with the horns and everything. Yeah, I I for, uh, completely forgotten that he was talking about that during during his podcast until he reminded me, and then I I guess I was focused on other things at the time, you know, maybe thinking about glitter or coffee or something. I have no idea, but I had a lot of fun with this character, and I love that he built in all these complications and then showed how this gigantic bounty, scary bounty hunter. Uh, was able to overcome these difficulties. So I thought that was a lot of fun. And before you move on, I will say that I did like about the characters because he gave them those horns on his head. And too often, mm-hmm. science fiction authors will give these character traits to their aliens and then never use them. Oh, he used those horns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, so so that was a huge plus for me. I was giggling. I mean, it was it was embarrassingly so when, when he did that. <laughs> So well, what, what about the plot, JR? Um, I liked it. It was, it was simple and straightforward. It was sort of a men's adventure story kind of thing that I grew up reading as a kid. So I, I dug it. Um, there were complications thrown in that you don't expect. Um, uh, so basically the premise is with, uh, with the plot, we're talking about plot, right? Mm-hmm. So he lands on this planet. He just wants a beer. Like he says in the description and he's going looking for a beer uh, and in the end, a uh, guy with a, a record who's wanted sees this famous or infamous bounty hunter and thinks he's coming for him. And so he starts a fight and the other guy's like, dude, I don't even know who you are. I just wanted a beer. Yeah. And, and then you're off to the races. So I really did like it. I mean, it was the quickest of all of them to read. For sure. But Terry Mixon is unashamedly a popcorn writer. Like, I, and I love that about his stories. Like, there is deeper meaning in it, I think, if you look. But, but mostly it's just a fun story. So he gets, uh, he gets a, a great gold star on that one. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Tim? Yeah. yeah I mean, you're right. You've, you've pretty much summarized it. They mistaken identity, missed chance to have a beer, and they're getting chased by the bad guys. And that's basically it, really. But what else do you need that is just done so well? And I think it's a, it takes a lot of skill to take something that's really very simple not spinning out, but it didn't feel at all as if it was stretched or anything like that. I, I, it didn't feel as long as it actually was in terms of reading it because it was just so much fun. And that's, that's actually takes a lot of accomplishment to do that. It did have a feel of the, um, as Tress, you said, Hellboy. I was thinking of Faffer and the Grey Mouser by Fritz Schleiber. 
sword and sorcery things I used to read. Say that one more time. Um, Fafford and the Grey Mauser. You're going to have to throw that in the... Fritz Leiber. Fritz. Yeah. Throw that in the show notes when this, you're done, and I'll, I'll list it. This is a... a it was um, <clears throat> probably most popular in the 50s. He was the guy who invented the term sword and sorcery. Oh. And they had a really tall, seven-foot-tall sort of warrior and a small thief. And they basically went around and did things like this. And, of course, they stole <laughs> things. And a bit like kind of a, a comedy duo version of Conan the Barbarian, I guess. bit that kind of pulp adventure thing. Well, that, Obviously, that was sword and sorceries, but this this uh, has got that same vibe. I love it. Well, that makes sense because Terry's talked about that. Like, his parents were a lot older when, when they had him and raised him. So, like, a lot – and he grew up in the stick. So, a lot of what he had access to were the, the classics. They were old by then because they were in the used paperback stores. So, so it wouldn't surprise me if that wasn't an inspiration because he's talked about that on his podcast. So, yeah, uh, I agree. Yep, and for me, it, it was a fun read, just like all of Terry's Terry's writing. He he'll never be accused of writing high literature, but he writes fun stories, and people buy the fun stories. So obviously, there's a market for him. All right. So what about the uh, what about the world building, Tim? How'd you feel about that? Yeah, it it felt very real, and it did all the things it needed to do. It didn't feel contrived. It felt lived in. It felt a bit dirty and oppressive and got some really bad people chasing them it all felt very good as you say the uh the, it is understated prose I, i'd say he doesn't wow with great complicated clever descriptive languages and long descriptive passages but it makes it all feel real and it's not an easy thing to do yeah. yeah, well, what about you, Jer? I, I bought it. I mean, it was – I always prefer more detail over less. That's just, you know, my thing. But you don't really get that in this day and age. People prefer less because they want to picture it themselves. Um, and so, yeah, that was – and that's some, a, a trait, I think, of Terry Mixon's because I've read a lot of his other books, um, is he does those kind of stories where he he's lighter on the details on purpose so you can envision it yourself. Um, and probably so he doesn't have to remember it later. <laughs> but so in right. some respects, I think he he was lighter on the, the details with the world building. But I didn't have any place where I couldn't envision because he gave you just enough to fill it in. And so the, the planet they landed on, I can't remember the name of it, but it was that sort of dry Tantooine sort of vibe to it that, that you know, is is done and overdone. And still keeps getting done because it's compelling that you see in a lot of science fiction. So I, I he, he stood on the shoulders of, of his uh, predecessors on that one, and, and it came across well. Yep. I, I had to go back and think about it because the world building was enough for me that I just fell into the story, and I didn't even think about it. I, I saw everything in my head, and it was a great movie I was playing in my head based on on the, the minimal description that he gave. It was just enough, I think. Uh, speaking of description, um, what do you think of the overall description, uh, Tim? Yeah, well, as you say, it's. I thought that was perfect because it it did exactly what you needed to do to get the story working and uh, enough to feel for the characters, to feel what was in their heads, the uh, the Zag bandit hunter. I mean, he was quite a quite an amusing guy he wouldn't want to give him too many beers so he might agree a bit uh, a bit frisky when it gets too many beers i think but it, it all works really, really well and um, i i have this thing about terry that uh i mean i i've i've read a number of his uh, novels and quite a few 
short stories. Well, uh, he's in the same anthology as, as is Kevin McCoughlin. In fact, that Chris and I are in at the moment, the four horsemen one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it often feels that, um, I mean, when you start off as an author, you're often told to, um, be really energetic in the first few paragraphs and, and wow with clever description or kill off at least 10 people in the first two sentences. <laughs> but Terry never seems to do that because he doesn't need to because he's the emperor of bones. And what he has to do is he, he just sort of eases you in there and you don't almost realize that you're, you're, you're reading something. It just seems so real. And then he, before you know it, you, you're in there. This description is vivid. You're really uh, in there as if it's a movie playing. And that's a really clever skill. I, I admire that enormously about, about Terry. Yeah, what do you think, Jay? I, I agree. I, I definitely forgot that I was supposed to be taking notes for this podcast as I was writing, writing, reading it because I just got sucked in. Uh, if you hear that background noise, I, I apologize, dear listener. We've got the uh, last gasp of the uh, ice cream man going around the neighborhood um, before before <laughs> winter hits. But uh, but yeah, I think he did a great job on the description. Like I said, I, I've always would love more, but obviously in a collection of short stories, you know, that are what seven to ten thousand words, there's only so much you can do. And there wasn't anywhere based on our criteria where I couldn't visualize things. Like, like you said, Chris, it was like watching a movie in your head. So, right. Yep. And, and for me, it was absolutely just the right amount of description to get the story across. But I, I, I think part, partly maybe why he did it in this one was to make sure that, that the story itself had enough words left over that it didn't feel rushed. So I, I think it was perfect. And, uh, Tim, what would you give it uh, out of five? Okay. What about you, Jer? Um, I, I definitely it's five stars. So because you know we're uh, social acquaintances on Facebook, if that counts as friends, uh, I'm aware of some of the inner author stuff that happened. So I caught a few of those Easter eggs. So uh, if you follow the us or the Four Horsemen, you know that um, Mark Wandry has a thing against uh, antimatter. So on his ship, mm-hmm. the antimatter drive was the Wandry antimatter drive. So I, I giggled a little bit at that one. Uh, and there are a few others I'll, I'll leave in there for you. I didn't even catch that. I'll leave that in there for you to, um, for you to find dear listener. Um, I, I love the spaceship. The razor is converted smuggling ship. It was definitely shades of the millennium Falcon. You know, that old trope of the, it looks yeah. like a junkie, but you know, hides a heart of gold or an engine of gold, I guess. Uh, I like one of the scenes he did where he had an alarm for his vi- uh, for his spaceship, so he clicks a button like you would for your car, and cheep, cheep, you know, yeah, yeah I, I laughed. In a, uh, you know what? It was appropriate to laugh at that scene, so I laughed. I did enjoy that it was so fast paced, like we talked about. So, uh, and I specifically, I'm not going to say what happened because it'll ruin it. But the scene where he captures the thief, uh, Zig, yeah. hilarious, yeah. and you could just see that happening in this day and age. Um, and so in the unintentional drama, like that was, uh, just the setup of like, dude, I don't even know who you are. Perfect. Um, yeah. So the, the, it was action packed. I'm definitely, I'm definitely sold. Um, and I like that it didn't take itself too seriously. And, and in conclusion of this five star story, I like that the ending felt it, it felt like an ending, but it also felt like a beginning of more, if that makes sense. Yeah. It yep. Does, yeah. I, I don't think he's written a, a full novel about this, or at least not published yet. Has what he? he talked about on his podcast he was going to do was he was going to um, do it as a serial that he does to his patron account, Patreon account, uh, and then potentially oh, he would. publish it all later. But he said he's not going to start doing that until he gets several of them written. Um, so I could see this as sort of the Dark Landing serial effect 
Um, in which case, for for money value, you're better off sort of wait. Unless it's in Kindle Unlimited, you're better off waiting until he bundles them. But I definitely would read it. Uh, I don't know that I would spend twenty bucks to buy every cereal, mostly because my wife wouldn't let me. Um, but yeah, it was good. What about you, Chris? Yep. Definitely five out of five. I cannot wait for full length novel to come out. This is this is my number one thing I'm looking forward to right now. Yeah, but if you're listening, Terry, that doesn't mean you get to stop writing the Empire of Bones. I need to know what happens. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. You have my permission. <laughs> the Marine, you couldn't understand me. I had his mouthful of crowns. Empire of Bones are bust. But all right. So uh, the third story is Mothers by C.M. Simpson. Um, this is one of the ones where he mentioned the previous miscommunication that I um, – I didn't read. I read a different one. So I am just going to ask and not answer because I don't think it would be fair to fake it. Uh, But the blurb on Amazon is no warrior is so fierce as a mother with young. And when mothers band together, enemies need beware. So do you feel like that summary fits? Hmm. I think it does. But this, this again was a lot more than just that. So it would, um, it, it was rough. It, it was rough trying to trying to fit that into one sentence. I think. Yeah, I think you've got to pick something compelling and, and put that one thing in the sentence. And and yes, mothers was the the one of the key concepts running through it. I mean, I'll, I'll come into that in, in a in a few minutes. I think, but I, I I both loved and didn't like the idea of the the mother kinship. Um, but it's definitely it's the key key theme. Mm-hmm. So that it fits. Yeah. Okay, and so the um, the characters, the how did you how did you feel about the characters, Tim? Yeah, um, so we have uh, Tally, I think, who's a human mother. Uh, we have a, a a bad person off camera called Commander Collins, and we have the ship, the alien mothership that Tally boards at the beginning of the story. So. One of the things I felt was most successful, a bit like Information War, the character who changed, uh, Tally at the end of the story has a completely different attitude towards the aliens and the mothership um, than she does at the beginning when she wants to just gut it and she can't destroy it because A, she hasn't got the power and B, because she would risk uh, destroying something that's very valuable to her on the ship. So she does move, I think, more than any of the other characters or change uh, and any other characters in the five stories we've looked at. And I felt that was done in a way that was convincing. So that was really good. I liked that aspect of Tally. What about you, Chris? Well, the... The most interesting character for me got no screen time. I wanted to see something from the bad guy who is this, this far away constant threat that, uh, that pushes a story forward, but we really don't get to see, see much about him at all. The, the characters talk about him. They, they hint about him. They, they figure out what kind of a rotten person he is, but then that's all we really get to see. Um, I was I was kind of put off by Sleeseth, I think is what they call the mothership. I it just it didn't feel real to me because I think any alien species there would be some constants. You know, if 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 the author had said okay, 
it just so happens that humans feel this way and aliens feel this way. And this is the one thing that they have in common, like protecting their own species. That That's great. But it, there was just too much in common. It was like a, like a human character thrown into, into something different. It, uh, it wasn't that compelling to me, really. Okay. What about the plot, Chris? I think the plot suffered a bit because the author wanted wanted to make a point in, in the story. It wasn't it wasn't a message story. It was a story about an idea, but instead of allowing the characters to expose the idea one piece at a time, it it was like it was like a tidal wave or or a constant waterfall of this idea being being thrown at you instead of allowing the characters to discover it as they went. Uh, I was, I was disappointed in that part. And you, Tim? Yeah, I think, I think I understand what you're, you, you're saying there, Chris. It's a bit difficult to say without, without spoilers, but right. Um, the, uh, the author is, is putting across, uh, the sort of thing it, it's a nice to believe in the idea that um, there's a commonality between humans and this uh, alien race that is through the axis of motherhood, mm-hmm. which is a nice thing to believe. And in a way, it's a rather similar to information war in the sense that things aren't quite how they are being portrayed by the sort of official. Uh, version of events um and it's it's nice perhaps little wishful thinking to imagine that this this uh positive concept will perhaps uh, link people together and uh lead to greater things it's a nice idea to think we can get on really well with the aliens um so i like that it's a very positive point of view but i also a little bit didn't believe it but i'm very happy with science fiction that i i don't particularly believe it but i enjoy it so that's okay anyway so the, the first star wars film for example when they have the the x-wings go up the um death star and fire the torpedoes they seem to be traveling really really slowly and all the <laughs> you know the, the anti-air defenses seem to be very bad at actually hitting anything but there's artistic license it's you know but what i wouldn't want to do is draw attention to that and i felt that a, a weakness perhaps of the story is it's called mothers the teaser sentence talks all about mothers and right at the beginning it's almost mothers and grandmothers and mothers and mothers uh it was a little bit overdone and i thought well it, it's a nice if it wasn't pushed quite so hard it would be a nice right. idea that you could connect on that level but i think it was just pushed a bit too hard and it perhaps drew too much attention to something that perhaps didn't really quite believe. So it's, you know, in terms of characters and plot, I mean, that's really all tied together, really, isn't it? And I, I agree. Commander Collins, who you never actually get to see, uh, is a bit like Darth Vader, I guess, in another Star Wars thing, is driving everything. Mm-hmm. All right. So what about the uh, world building, Tim? There's quite a bit in there, actually. The uh, the main character is a ship whisperer, and there's there's things that have happened, uh, wars have come and gone, and colonies, and and ship technology. I thought that was handled quite well. Um, in fact, I thought it was was handled very well. Yeah, and that worked for me. That was fine. Except, well, as I've said, I didn't quite buy the idea of aliens who are really very much like uh, humans. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris. Yeah, I, 
I like the framework that the author set up. Um, I would read a novel so long as as he as the author took their time with it, um, allowed the story to develop as it went, uh, not front load so much. I understand you know, constrained. You only have so many words to get to get the job done. But I do like the framework. I like the universe that the author built. So I, I'd read a novel in this for sure. Okay. And what about the description? Hmm. Yeah, I think the description thought- was just enough to get it done, but I didn't, I wasn't able to picture every scene in my mind. And you, you, Tim? Yeah. It, at the beginning, I was a little bit not entirely following it as uh, the main character was bored in the ship. What was what was going on, but that was just a little bit at the beginning and the rest of it I thought was, was fine. Okay. And Tim, what do you think overall of the story? Yeah, I, I thought it was definitely worth, uh, reading. I enjoyed it. As I said, I, I, for me, I felt it drew a little bit too much attention to, to the aspect that at one point is, is sort of, uh, very positive, but I didn't quite believe. So I would say that's a, that's a four. All right. And uh, because I, oh, what about before I move on? Chris, overall, sorry, I didn't mean to forget you, bud. Overall, I really appreciated the the framework, the idea. Um, I just wish it would have been executed a little bit better. So I give it a three out of five. All right. And uh, we were supposed to do the commercial interlude before this um, segment. So it's going to be running late in the episode. Mia Copa. I was having so much fun talking about Terry's story that uh, I forgot myself. But this is where we take a moment and we shamelessly shill for the man as we pause for a word from our sponsor. 20 remarkable stories, 20 award-winning and best-selling authors, one incredible science fiction collection to awaken your mind to the infinite possibilities. Aliens, snipers, warships, royalty, intrigue, battles fought with rail guns, plasma beams, and blasters, even with words, and sometimes only with the mind. The universe is expanding, and these are its fantastic stories beyond our understanding, beyond time and space itself. What we do know should terrify us, and what we don't know can kill us. Yet human courage will take us beyond our limits, far beyond in deep space, maybe even closer to home, where the boundaries exist only in our minds. More than 500 action-packed pages of never-a-dull-moment entertainment. When you discover we're not alone in the universe, will you be prepared? Grab your copy of The Expanding Universe 4 today and find out. All right. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with it. We are still reviewing the Expanding Universe 4 Anthology. Take it away, Chris. All right. So the next story is The Burden of Honor by Kevin McLaughlin. Uh, This is not one that I read. I screwed up and didn't read this one, so I'll be asking the questions on this one. So the blurb from Amazon is, Sir Drake returns home to rally his people against an ancient enemy, but threats are far closer uh, but threats far closer threaten to turn his mission to ashes before he can even begin. So do you think that matches the story, JR? Yes. I thought that was the other one that nailed it um, equally so. Where I think the, but he used more words to do it in all fairness. 
his description was one of the longer okay. ones. No, I, I, you know, when you're trying to summarize, obviously the the less words you have, the harder it is to do. And so he used the most words mm-hmm. out of all the descriptions to to tell about his story, or at least the ones that we did. Uh, and so he had a more of a shot of getting it right, and I think he did. So his summary of the in blurb worked for me. Yeah, what about you, Tim? Yeah, I'd, I'd say the same. It, it it does describe what what happens. Um, I thought the story was a lot more fun than the description suggested. Oh, now, I didn't okay. find the description particularly compelling. It seemed a bit, well, uh, it seemed to be standard concepts, but like that term home rally is people against an ancient enemy. I mean, there's lots of ancient enemies in, in blurbs. Um, and uh, I wouldn't didn't find that particularly compelling. But when I actually got inside and I read a story, well, we shall find out what I thought in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, Tim, what do you think about the characters? Yeah. Uh, so we've got Sir David Drake, who's a, a low-born knight. We have uh, a star kingdom with a majesty and uh, then a planet called Leoness, Admiral Sir Nicholson, Lady Agnes. One of the things I liked about it is all the characters seemed competent, including the one that I won't mention because it's a bit of a spoiler um and i think that's that's always a good thing because sometimes it's tempting to have people being a bit stupid in a contrived way because they're the bad guys but <laughs> everybody was doing that got their own well everybody felt that they were doing the right thing everybody's a hero in their own story and everybody was very competent um but unfortunately uh they have to kill each other or some of them anyway um <laughs> one one of the things i did note so here's a question to both of you we're in a uh, in a kingdom where we have admirals and well admirals not that but uh, we have knights and ladies and plate armor later on trial by combat and it all sounds a bit British with things like Drake. Why do Americans write all this stuff about British earls and dukes and things? It sounds like that? alien to us. What is it? It's foreign. It's yeah. a foreign. It's the mysterious. concept that you have the yeah. class system. I mean, not to say that we don't with with the economy, but but in principle, that's something we we all, in theory, as a culture, agree is bad. Like this idea that that you're important because you were born important, as opposed to you did important things. So I think that's why um, yeah, it's, it's exotic. exotic. It's exotic. Well, I don't like exotic because it's often it's the it's the good guys who are the are the royals. No, never. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Like a Duke of Ted. I mean, he was a good guy. <laughs> All right. So, so you like the characters, though? Did you? Yes. I, I think it's very difficult to write a whole. It's quite complex. Everybody's got their own agenda, but it all makes perfect sense. So I think that was that was good, and I thought that was very well done. Yeah, I um, <laughs> I definitely, uh, I definitely like the main character, Sir David Drake. Uh, I thought uh, the characters overall, the names were very evocative. So you got Sir David Drake. There's actually a real life David Drake, who's a Vietnam veteran and science fiction author. So I wonder um, if there's a over, you know, shadowing, then we have the stars kingdom, which is a, another character. If you would, it's sort of evocative of David Weber's Honorverse, which was another. So you have the Lusitania was the location of one of the, um, from the, sh- I'm not going to go too much cause we want to no spoilers, but it's a Roman province, but it's also a battleship or excuse me, a ship that was sunk at the, that helped start world war one. So, and then of course, David Drake's ship, the Armistice. So you've got a warship named Truth, essentially. So I think the naming, mm-hmm. and it's so subtle that if, if someone wasn't as well read on history, I wonder if they would catch all that. Interesting. So, so what do you think of the plot, Jr.? 
Um, I, I did like it. This was one of my favorite stories, um, and we'll talk about that in one of the later questions that I just added. But um, I, I really did like it. It was it was fast paced. I think it moved along. Um, there was a there was enough action mixed with the intrigue, and a lot of intrigue stories are hard to do. You can you can lose people in the minutia. I don't think that happened here. It was definitely there was enough to keep you going, um, and there wasn't anywhere where I felt like you know, okay, I don't believe, right? Like I, I really got into this one. I, I had trouble. I had to go back and read it twice. So the second time I could take notes for this review because because I was getting into it. Um, the plot device of the armor situation where they're wearing the powered armor and, you know, basically medieval times with a spaceship, uh, that concept is done. It doesn't always speak to me, but it was executed well here. So yeah, I'll give it to him. Okay. All right, Tim, what do you think about yeah. the world building? Yeah, I um, the plate armor and trial by combat, sword and pole arm, I, it, it did work, and it's you know it's been done before, but it, it, it fits in with the, <clears throat> the, the sort of feel of the royal uh, um, setup. And the fight scenes, I thought, were, were done, done very well. Um, it, it did make sense. And there was actually quite a lot going on there in terms of um, the intrigue between those three, in fact, uh, powers all um, with their own agenda and possibly about to go to war with each other. Uh, and as, as J.R. said, it, it, this very easy to get really complicated and just confuse the reader and they just oh, I'll just skip the next next story. But that was done very well. Yeah, I, I nice. thought the world building was very fleshed out. Um there wasn't anywhere. It was different. There wasn't anywhere I, I didn't I didn't buy what he was doing. That I couldn't envision what he set up. Now, admittedly, I am a student of history, so I've studied the sort of Regency Age of Sail, whatever, um, which is what this sort of struck me as. It was like Master and Commander in space, almost. Uh, well, on, on land, but I mean, it was that sort of vibe. So yeah, I think the world building was done well. Okay, what do you think about the description here? Um. Eh. I'm always going to say more is better, but I think he did enough. Um, I don't know if someone who didn't have that grounding in history would follow as much of it, like with the reference to the armor and, and uh, the culture, the royal nobility. I, I don't know. But for from where I'm standing as somebody who majored in history and was getting a master's in, in colonial American history before, before I got hurt, I mean, all of it spoke to me. But your mileage may vary. Okay. And Tim? Yeah. Yeah, I think it it evoked the feel. I mean it's it's a little bit of mastering commander in space but having docked and it's also a little bit medieval and it it had the sense of big sort of big halls and a little bit showy. It it, it felt like it. it wasn't people weren't just described as being lady this and the royal something else. It felt a bit regal and grand and i think that's that's nicely done there's this as i said there's a lot going on there and, and it you, you don't almost don't notice that there's as much world building going on because the description supported it so well very very well done that as well yes nice so, so what would you give it overall tim um i'd give it a four okay and here I don't know. This one was this was a four for me, but it could have been a five. So I, I definitely, like I said, we we dug the uh, this, the history in space kind of vibe. Um, I like the use of nautical imagery. 
um, the terms from the age of sail that he had a sailing master as his, you know, assistant on the ship. The captains were all knighted. Uh, he even had him st- using like a steering wheel. I'm picturing the one on an old warship, you know, with the, the little poles coming out of it. it, it you know, if, if you don't know how, what I'm describing, <laughs> look up a, a, a sailing ships, a ship's wheel. ship's wheel. It, it sort of described that, which I thought was interesting. Um, the, the, what threw me out was there were a few typos. So there's, there's one scene where he said, David had left his armor left behind on the ship. It just, the, the second left could have been left out. It would have read smoother. I, I had to read that sentence a few times to get what he was, why it jarred me out. Um, there are a few others where instead yeah. of not common, which is what he should have said, he said no common. Uh, a lot of those mistakes struck me as what happens if you use dictation and you don't go back to clean it up. Um, mm-hmm. then they were, they were jarring because I was so into the story that sometimes if the story doesn't grab you and you see those mistakes, it doesn't really bug you because you weren't that into it. When you're that into it, the little mistakes are even more, uh, magnified. And so in that respect, that's why it was a four out of five instead of a five out of five. Um, I did like that. It was sort of the height of the age of nobility. Uh, you know, I, I really did expect Horatio Hornblower to jump out of the pages, uh, and they even had hot tea. Ugh. <laughs> Everyone knows tea is supposed to drink cold and sweet. Um, so eh, I, I did like that. Set a Was that? Set a temperature yeah. tea. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> the ending, this is another one, much like Terry Mixon's, where the ending felt more like the beginning of another story than the truly an ending of this one without leaving you feeling cheated. So if he writes this series, I'd definitely buy it. Nice. Okay, so who's got the last story? All right. So the uh, the final agreed upon story, which hopefully we all read. Uh, Tim is, is yes, I read Tim is one. a better co-host than we are because he actually read all the right stories. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, the final agreed upon story is Messenger by Yudhanja Yuda and R.R. Verdi. I am sorry, Yuda. I can never pronounce that name. Maybe in 100 years, I will finally get it right. The, uh, the blurb from Amazon is am I dreaming that I am a machine or a machine dreaming of being a man? So did you think that summary worked, uh, Tim? Yeah, I did. It, it describes it and it's very evocative. Um, yeah, that's that's spot on description. What about me. you, uh, Chris? Yeah, evocative's the right word. That's besides it's besides the fact that it's Yuda, um, I was intrigued as to where he went with this. So yeah, it was it was a good uh, good blurb. Yeah, when I've I've written I've written I've read uh, Yuda's the long slow suicide. I can't remember the rest. Of it. It's another guy. It's another Indian name. Um, I'll put that in the show notes that he wrote, uh, which isn't for me. It was hard sci-fi, and um, so I expected that when I see his writing and his style is, is very much proper British writing, which makes sense given you know his nationality. It was. Um, in hard sci-fi, he likes the hard stuff, right? And so when I read the description, that is exactly what I expected. Although, you know, he's, he's a buddy. So, you know, we try to support other indies. I figure what, I'll give it a shot. But then Chris and I were um, managing the sci-fi shenanigans Facebook group and his uh, blurb that him and RR Verdi did popped up. And we, we like, that's what made us decide to do this review. We're like, that sounds interesting. That's a lot different than what he wrote with the long, slow suicide. And so I expected with this blurb um, to, to be a little harder on the science. And so I was pleasantly surprised. And so I think um, it almost undersold it 
for me, the the blurb was it was right. more of an action adventure story that I love, and this gives me more of the Asimov Arthur C. Clarke kind of vibe with the description, and it has that in it. Don't get me wrong, but it, mm. that didn't seem to me the sticking point. Yeah, it's pretty deep, but I liked it. I, I think the summary worked, but it was all that and more. Okay, uh, well, what do you think about the plot, Jr.? Uh, are we not going to talk about the characters? Oh, characters, sure. Characters. So. That's what I meant. <laughs> the, the main character was uh, the one telling you the story, and I can't remember his name because you only get it a few times, but you were so engrossed in the story that it didn't really matter because he was you and you were he, right? And so the character was uh, a former right. reservist in the Indian Army, India, uh, who is just getting let off when the aliens attack, and suddenly he's a cyborg, a machine, something. Uh, and I, he was definitely relatable. Yeah. Um, you can all understand what you would do if someone attacked your family and what, what lengths you would go to. So I don't know. I, I thought the characters were spot on. I think the supporting cast were believable. I mean, you didn't really see much of them. Um, but as far as introducing them for a story that might grow into a novel series, uh, I don't know. I was satisfied. I think he did a good job. Yeah, I think it, go ahead. I think he did. Um, Arjun, I think his name was. Um, but he was Arjun. Now he's both Arjun and Vishnu's vengeance. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the whole whole point of it. And it's interesting you said about the his support team. So he's a, a he's a shikari, which is a, a hundred meter machine of gleaming alloy. And the description is: my fingers are steel, my fists can crush buildings. I'm the cover model for Judas Priest albums. <laughs> it's really good, shiny, big metal mecca. Um, and I think it helps that the character, and we're not going to spoil her again, but it is, well, as the teaser says, is struggling to be human and machine and both, and it's it's kind of starting to not work too well together. And I think it's useful that he, he's got his support team who are credible, sensible, scared, but doing their job. And it, it helps to relate to him because the... the um, in many ways, as the reader, uh, they represent relative normality, right. a relatively normal point of view, even though it's done in first person. And you, you, you're seeing things from the narrator's point of view, but you kind of think, well, I can almost see what's coming from uh, the perspective from the, the support team, because that's where I would probably be if I was uh, actually experiencing this so yeah he also had in there he didn't call it that he called it desyncing but that basically the concept if you guys are familiar with halo of rampancy where basically after a certain point in time the human brain into machine cannot function because it doesn't have the neuropaths and he goes into it a little bit but if you're familiar with the concept of halo of the rampancy where the ais eventually go crazy he has something like that which i think is an interesting concept uh, and he explained it in a, in a unique way. And so with with Halo, for instance, it's all about information. You just take in so much information, it's too much, you go crazy. Here, the way he did it, it's almost the loss of self is what drives them crazy, which I thought was a unique take on the uh, the giant mecha robots. So, Yeah, I, th- I, th- I thought his main character was strong, believable, made even more believable by the reactions of of those around him and boy what a what a compelling story i i i caught myself holding my breath as i was reading it waiting for the next thing to happen 
and it didn't happen exactly when I thought it would. So when it did happen, it surprised me. I, I thought that was a lot of fun. Absolutely. So so had the plot overall hit you, Tim? Uh, yeah, as you said there, Chris, it sort of didn't quite play out the way I, I'd expected it in terms of the sequencing anyway. Um, it was a little bit backwards and forwards in time. Um, it, it goes off to to see, you think it's going to be a, sort of a, a straight linear progress where he's, he's going a bit bit mad, but he goes off and sees Carly, the, uh, the other different type of, multi-armed Chikari uh, has a few fights with some uh, a huge sort of Godzilla type insect water alien things mm-hmm. um, so all that's going on but at the same time as he's having this desync going on and he's sort of going a bit, bit, bit crazy and I think that's the sort of thing that's very difficult to do and stop it seeming as if now we're doing the the internal bit where he's going back in the past and remembering things he shouldn't do, and now we're doing a bit in the present where he's having a fight scene. Now he's going back into, but it all seemed to blend together very uh, seamlessly. And I thought that was done very well. So in in many ways, the actual the external plot of uh, he has some fight with some uh, alien beastie things uh, was quite simplistic, but it was it was all credible in in the context of the story and was just what you needed to play out the internal story with his internal struggle going on at the same time. So I think that worked pretty well. Nice. What do you think, Jerry? Um, I, the story arc, I didn't have, he did have where he was remembering the past, but it, it wasn't a true like flashback sequence in the sense where you'd see it in italics and tell you clearly this is flashback because it was the product of a mind going crazy. And it was very obvious that that was what's happening because they tell you desyncing is a thing. Yeah. You see um, the other Shikari go crazy. And so in that respect, it worked for me. And, and much like when I, we talked about with your story, Tim, where you had the battle on the, um, Oh, the moon. I'm drawing a blank. Um, um, in the human legions or Aries, sometimes a books will do it uh, where, where they it's chaotic and sometimes it's hard to follow. But when it's a combat scene, it only makes it that much better, right? Because because chaos combat mm-hmm. is chaotic, right? So I think Tarragon Moon with GE did it. Um, so I, I, I liked that. I didn't have a problem with it. It made the story better. Yeah, for me, the best part of the story was the fact that he went somewhere that I think most authors would avoid. He he got in the mind and showed you kind of kind of the worst case scenario of technology. Even though we need it, someone's got to make a sacrifice. So that was that was my favorite part of it was was just the whole concept. It was- so what do you think about the world? I was gonna say I Sorry, definitely thought it for me at least it was definitely easy to follow. It never really lagged in places, and I was totally buying it. Uh, I did hit the I believe button because it is set in India. He uses Indian and Sri Lankan culture, uh, and I am not as familiar with that. Mm-hmm. So when he talks about uh, Vishnu and and Rama and all that, I'm just like, okay, I believe, and I went with it. Right, like I've seen some of the the reliefs carved in the buildings with <laughs> with the multi armed god. So like I, I had some basis of understanding just from world civilization class but i'm not an expert so he put in enough that it was like oh this is cool without so much that you, he lost you so I, I really did like that yeah what would you think the world building overall Jay? i liked it so it was it was interesting to see sort of a military science fiction vibe meshed with hard sf you don't see that as often um you know we've talked with uh, others i think burning eagle by the navin 
I'm not going to pronounce his name either. So I'll throw it in the show notes uh, is a good example. <laughs> um, and I think um, Tom Mays does a good job of that, but, but it's hard to get good mill SF that his hard science. And so I, I did like that, that he mixed the two. And so I, I, I I'm, I'm a fan. What about you, Tim? Yeah, I think it worked very well. Um, always interested to see how the two authors work together, um, but it, it all seems seamless. And uh, on a base, at one level, it's the sort of thing it could be a little bit, a bit silly, really, or a little absurd, like a Transformers movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was all completely believable. It all made sense, and there was it wasn't flimsy stuff at all, as you as you said, Chris. He, uh, he's made a sacrifice and for a reason and because somebody has to so he's chosen to do this knowing what the result will be it's, yeah. it's quite powerful what about you chris yeah for me um part of what i appreciated most was was the how exotic the local culture was in the story um i felt like <laughs> i felt like i was an expert afterwards even though i know i'm not uh, it, it it was a lot of fun watching watching what happened and realizing that I think anybody in any culture who had to step into that guy's shoes would probably react the same way. And so that was kind of an eye opener for me too. And I realized how uh, how how in my own little little world, my own little box, and how isolated I, I am from the rest of the world. And and so that made that made it a lot of fun. So what do you think about the description, Jr? So I really liked it. Um, obviously, as I've said before, more is always better for me. I have absolutely zero problem with the Sanderson approach. Um, and so, but I mean, I had enough that I, I was, this is one of the other stories where it's like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be taking notes here because I was just that into it. Um, so I could mm-hmm. visualize everything. Um, I think he did a good job there. So, yeah. Yeah. And Tim? Yeah, they did do a good job. And it's, it's of all the stories we've looked at here. It's the most uh, lyrical, perhaps elevated language, even though it's quite mm-hmm. down and dirty in, in places. And I think it's uh, interesting how um, this is the one story where perhaps you could imagine it in some of the old old school magazines, such as Asimov's or um, you know the best ofs, the old traditional things. But it's it's entirely accessible. It all made sense all the way through, and yet it had that slightly elevated, uh, almost slightly philosophical at times language. That I thought was very effective and actually set it apart slightly from some of the other stories. Yeah, I agree. It was just enough description for me to understand what was happening, and for me, that's that feels exactly right. I don't, I don't like the long winded descriptions where people just go on and on about it. A drop of leaf or a a drop of rain on a leaf. I don't care to read a whole paragraph about that. Not, not my thing. So uh, overall, Tim, what would you give it? Five. Definitely. Okay. And JR. Um, yeah, this was five for me. Um, I liked that it. it was had some of the harder science, but it was still accessible. Um, it had lots of references to Arthur C. Clarke and the Garden of Rama, which makes sense given that Arthur C. Clarke lived in um, Sri Lanka for a while, where they where the author is from, or at least where Yuda's from. I don't know about R.R. R. Verdi, but I would I would hazard a guess that they are contemporaries geographically. Uh, it plays off real life um, asteroid that did the flyby with the 
Oma Muma, which is Hawaiian for messenger, and I probably butchered that too. So all of our Hawaiian listeners, uh, we are sorry. Um, Send your hate mail to JR at (laughs) – Yeah. Um, Like I said, I like that the character, you know, that he tied in where he had the military experience, but but he still wasn't a professional with like the reserve status and the Mm desyncing with going crazy. He was definitely – well done. I can see what Tim's talking about with the writing style. It was definitely uh, well written and accessible, but but Yuta has that tendency towards formal British style English um, instead of good old fashioned American. Um, and, and it was it was a nice change though. Like I, I definitely got there. He did really well with the visceral imagery um, and showing the local cultures and religion. Um, and so that worked for me. Mm-hmm. The pacing was was on on point. Um, so I really I dug that. Sometimes switching the 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 nomenclature when he was going back is he Vishnu or is he the man that was that, Vish, that became Vishnu? Like the he they like all of that was a little confusing. I think it was intentionally done so because he was trying to show the dichotomy between man and machine. But it was a little jarring. Not so much that I lost the wonder. Uh, the ending was a little bit predictable, I would say, but the buildup was amazing. And I definitely want to see more from this world. It was another, it was the third one where I felt like the ending was more the beginning of something else. Um, and, and I, I agree, right. his, his pros were on fire. I wish I could do some of what he did with the, with the imagery and the wording. So five out of five stars and six, if we could. And yeah, for me, it was barely five, definitely, definitely five. I, there were there were some errors I noticed in the writing, just some, some things that I had to read two or three times that, that threw me out of the story, but getting back into it was, was really easy. So I didn't have any problem with that. Yeah. It felt like I said, in full disclosure, I, I wanted to like it going in, which helps because you know, you a great guy. Yeah. Having said that there are other people whose books I really wanted to like for the same reason. And I couldn't get past page three. So yep. in the, in the end, <laughs> yep. the story has to carry itself. So oh, wait, Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, and Chris gave his opinion. So we are good there. Says so before we wrap up, are there any other stories that you want to give a shout out, an honorable mention that you read and loved? They were in the anthology, Tim. Uh, no, those are the only ones I've read so far. Okay. What about you, Chris? Oh, same. All right. So I read a few of the other ones, but but none that I loved as much as the three you picked with Terry Mixon and and Yuda and McLaughlin. Those those were the highlights for me. So. Uh, we will go now. Yeah. I I will take my notes for this and, and make it a blog post as well. So uh, I might have uh, twelve stars out of five for uh, CM. Um, what was her name? CM Simpson, I think. The mother's yeah. story, yeah. CM Simpson's. I, I'm, yeah. I might find out that's my favorite after I read it. But but yeah. So all right. And then o- the overall for the anthology because obviously we all read more than just the ones we reviewed. So what do you think of it overall, Tim? The whole collection. Well, I, I've only read. The, uh, the ones we've reviewed, and I thought the standard was very high. Uh, I would expect five random stories uh, from a science fiction anthology to have more of them that I didn't like. Uh, but there's none I didn't like, and some I thought were superb. Okay, what about you, Chris? I agree. This this book is worth buying. You know, it, it's like any music album. There's going to be one or two maybe you don't like, but the rest of the songs are pretty good. All right, and so for me... Um, the Terry Mixon story, the McLa- uh, Kevin McLaughlin, 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 I, I don't know. And Yuda stories were worth the price of entry. Like if those are the only three I got, yeah. I still would have gladly paid the three ninety nine. They were that good. 
Mm-hmm. I, I, I also read the Jonathan Brazy story. Um, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't, I mean, it, I didn't love it either. Um, and you'll see my thoughts when I write my review. So, I mean, I read a few others that, you know, were okay. They didn't scream at me though. Um, and so, but overall, if only got those three stories, I wouldn't feel cheated. So, Sounds like Chris made the right picks. Absolutely. Hmm. So, uh, well done, Chris. Uh, so besides this anthology, what are you reading in the genre, genre of science fiction, Tim? You get to go first since you're the guest. Okay. Thank you. Well, I'm reading Darkling by Jason Cordova, which is the second in the Kin Wars saga, which uh, apparently there are nine planned. So uh, Chris definitely picked the right stories because I would describe Darkling as being political court intrigue, men in super mech suits, a heavy family sense, cool urban chase scenes, and information war. So it's kind of a combination of all the things we've just been talking about in the short stories. <laughs> all right. I actually really liked Darkling. I've read the first two in the Ken War saga and loved them. So I've been waiting for book three. Um, and I think I wrote a review on that. If I did, I'll check. Um, there's only so much time in the day. And if I spend all of it writing reviews, I don't have time to write. And uh, people get mad at me for that. So, but yeah, it's a good one. A uh, good choice. What about you, Chris? Uh, I'm reading Uglies by Scott Westerfield. Uglies? It's a, um, yeah, it's a, it's a near future dystopian where people are classified into two groups, pretties and uglies. And uh, I still haven't, I, I, I'm still, I'm about a third of the way into the book and I'm lost in the story, but I still don't know what the point is. (laughs) So yeah, it's one of those stories where I can barely put it down, but I have no idea how it's going to end. Not the slightest clue. So the ending's probably going to be a surprise. Okay. So I just finished, um, the book seven of the galaxy's edge and I've got to write a review. So I didn't want to read book eight cause I don't want to muddle everything up. So I just started, um, book seven is turning point. Um, so I just started rereading for the fourth time, Terry Mixon's empire of bones because I, it's, it's, it's like comfort food, right? You just, it's comfort food. <laughs> uh, and so I, I yep. I'm reading that because I know what's going to happen. And then I can, you know, when I get back to, uh, write those reviews and, and stuff, we'll, We'll get back to more stuff. So that's what I'm reading right now is Empire of Bones. Awesome. Cool. All right. So finally, the science question. Normally, we like to remember the science that makes science fiction fun. But this is the second episode we've recorded today. And the uh, the episode with Navin went for 12 hours. Okay, only two, but still. Um, and so Chris and I have some deadlines with editors who want to edit so they can get paid. Uh, so we're going to ask a fun question. If you could captain any ship from the genre of science fiction, what would you choose and why? We'll start with Tim. Okay, well, I would choose a Mark II Phantom Expert, uh, which is something I wrote in my Human Legion series. And uh, in a way, it's a reaction to having had hard SF ships with no wandry anti-gravity or artificial whatever, <laughs> anythings, and all hard science. Uh, I had wanted to play with something that you can actually turn on a sixpence and not spill your coffee as you're sitting there <laughs> at the pilot seat with your feet up um so yeah I'd, I'd i'd like that and also because having written the book and then having um 
covers done, new covers done afterwards, the description I gave to the artist Vincent Sammy was, oh, the wings are kind of like a swept back sycamore's wings. Uh, and he thought, oh, okay, I can run with that. And he did an excellent image for it. So I, I really like that. I've got my coffee mug has got that picture on it. Yeah, I need to get those okay. coffee mugs. You know what? Let me add that to the show notes. Give me just a second, Tim. Uh, we will throw that in there. Um, mm-hmm. Human Legion merch. So you can order your own coffee mug if you so desire, dear listener. Uh, some of my characters are in there as well. So, all right. And, uh, yeah, that was an interesting ship. I didn't even think of creating my own only because if we're being entirely honest, I used your spaceships <laughs> when I wrote the series in your universe. So, uh, but yeah, that's, that's a good one. I did like those boats. What about you, Chris? Mine is definitely the space battleship Yamato. Uh, this was a series that ran in 1974 and 1975. Uh, they, they used to call it Japan animation back then, but now, now I guess it's called anime. I remember this has to be my earliest. Yeah. has to be my earliest memory of science fiction ever is watching this show. And I was floored. It it was a cartoon, but I did not realize it was rated R. (laughs) I looked it up to do a little bit of research before this show. Uh, Yeah. It was really violent, really, uh, really hardcore. And it, it was a great series. All right. So before I list mine, the um, the Mark II Phantom. I don't know, Tim. If I was going to pick one from your universe, I like the Bonaventure. Ooh, yeah. All right, yeah. You can have that one then. That'd be yours. No, I actually picked a different <laughs> one, um, and I'm going to see it for the wiki page. We haven't updated that in forever, mostly because the person that was assisting us with that side of things had had life get in the way. But uh, if I was going to pick one, I would say the Daedalus uh, class ships from the stargate universe they just look sexy and um they they i like the look i like the functionality they seemed like they were possible they didn't feel like it was um something that couldn't be done and they just they fit the number one important thing in a spaceship the rule of cool (laughs) i hope space force is listening because that's very important absolutely (laughs) (laughs) all right so that was the important question and we'll have to uh mix in dear listeners some of these uh fun ones like this with the uh the hard science stuff just because well because they're fun and um all right so before we close things out tim uh, how can listeners find you you can find me at humanlegion.com on the internet all right. And the rest of his contacts will be in his show notes as usual and if you had a drinking game for every time we said show notes chris would die of liver failure I, I would have been dead a long time yeah. ago. <laughs> so, Chris, how can listeners find us? Our website is www.sfshenanigans.com. Our Twitter handle is at SFS, that's Sierra, Foxtrot Sierra, underscore show. Our email is podcast at sfshenanigans.com. And our Facebook group is facebook.com slash groups slash sfshenanigans. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Chris Winder, I'm J.R. Hanley, and this was the Sci-Fi Shenanigans Podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of space and all things that go boom. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that uh, archived episode that was in the... uh, 
in the digital memory hole that we found. We thought you'd enjoy it. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garver and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Archive for the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back at our regular scheduled time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.